by trying to be as broad as possible, all that you're really accomplishing is becoming the same commodity that everybody else is. You don't want to be just the one that's doing the commodity work. And if that's all that you pitch yourself as, then you have done nothing to stand out. Let's go! Hello and welcome back to the brand new You Show, the podcast dedicated to helping you build your personal brand. We meet here each week to learn how building your brand can help you grow your influence, amplify your online reputation, and ultimately impact your career. I'm your host, Ryan Roten, and today's guest wants to help you build a freelancing business around the life that you want to live. Matt Inglot is the owner of Freelance Transformation and Tilted Pixel. Tilted Pixel is a nine-year-old web agency, and Freelance Transformation is a podcast devoted to helping people in creative services transform their business. On Freelance Transformation, Matt helps fellow consultants and creative service providers earn more and build a business around their lifestyle rather than the other way around. Matt, it is my pleasure to welcome you to the brand new You Show. And it's my pleasure to be here, Ryan. Well, before we get started, I do need to say a special word of thanks to Danny Flood for introducing the two of us. Yeah, Danny's a cool dude. That always leads to the question I have to ask, how did you meet Danny? I am 90% sure we met through Facebook, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you've never met in person then? No, we haven't. Uh, I mean, I hope that opportunity comes around. But one of the cool things about the internet and online and tools like Facebook, which are so easy to dismiss as, you know, people just post pictures of their babies and parties. But um, Facebook's actually an incredible networking tool. And I think what happened was Danny and I must have been part of the same uh, Facebook group, which is where a lot of the networking happens is different Facebook groups. And I think I just reached out to him one day because he had posted something interesting. And next thing you know, uh, you know, I had him on my show. Uh, he's had me on his show and we've just kind of kept in touch. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. I've not met Danny face to face either, but, uh, same, same type of thing with him. He's, he's just a really personable guy and I do appreciate him putting you and I in touch. Yeah, definitely. And like Danny, you've done a little bit of traveling in your career so far. So I'm very interested to see how you answer the first question, which is if you could vacation in only one place for the rest of your vacation days, where would you go? That's a tough one because the percentage of a world that I've seen versus the percentage of a world that I haven't um, is so broad. But if I'm vacationing, meaning I still get to live where I live right now, because uh, I live close to the mountains, so there's great rock climbing and skiing and all of that is taken care of, then I would probably want to vacation somewhere in Europe. And if you're going to force my hand, then <laughs> I'm going to say Poland okay. uh, because that's where I'm originally from. I've got, that's where I, I proposed to my wife and, um, you know, I've got family and everything there. And it's also a beautiful country and one that, gets often overlooked uh, when picking places to travel, but it's an amazing place and the exchange rate uh, on the currency is extremely favorable. Okay, you're, you're right. Uh, Poland has not been mentioned yet. <laughs> <laughs> so where is home now? Home is just outside of Calgary in Alberta, Canada. So we're literally exactly one hour drive from uh, Canmore in the Rockies. Oh, wow. Okay. So you're, you are up in a really beautiful area then. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I have a view of the mountains from my window and that we moved here last year and the mountains were kind of one of the main reasons for that move is that's just kind of our calling. That's awesome. That's awesome. I like the mountains too. We we tend to go to Colorado every few years for no other reason than so dad can see the mountains. <laughs> <laughs> that is a very good reason. All right, Matt. So you got started with your career, just like a lot of us do, you uh, went to, you were going to college. You actually took the extra step that some of us don't do when we're in college and you got a, a quote unquote real world job where you were working part time doing some marketing for a virtual reality company. But at a, at a, at we'll say a young age, you also got a real taste of what the real world can be like. So can you tell us a little bit about what happened? Yeah, absolutely. So at the, you know, I don't know exactly how old I was at this point, but probably about 20 years old. I did have a part-time job, 20 hours a week, working for a virtual reality startup while at the same time going to school. And I got my first dose of reality when uh, two months after having moved out of my parents' house and paying my own way for everything, my food, my beer, my tuition, my rent, that was all being paid by me and my job because, I mean, you know, I was working for a startup. It was good money. And then I come in two months into the job and everything's kind of dark and the mood is very somber inside. And I go to log into my computer and my password doesn't work. Hmm. And so, you know, I mentioned it to my manager. Hey, something's wrong with my computer. And it turns out that they laid off a third of a company, including me. Wow. Wow, that and that's that's not virtual reality. That was reality. <laughs> that was a bitter, harsh reality. And it's only by the skin of my teeth that I made it through that because I was lucky enough to get a line of credit from the bank uh, on the strength of having that job. And I had only gotten that line of credit as a just in case a month before that. Without it, I would have been pooched. Wow, wow. So, so you you know you you come into work. Work says, sorry, your services are no longer needed. You still need to pay for tuition, rent, books, beer. And we won't talk about the percentages of the money that gets (laughs) divided up into those pies. But, uh, you know, so you have this line of credit, but that line of credit, I'm sure, is not infinite. What did you do to kind of pick yourself back up and, and, you know, get started again? Yeah. So the line of credit was definitely very finite. Uh, luckily, as a student, you also get very good at living cheap. But of course, money really did need to come in. So I went full force with uh, starting a web agency. That's something that I was doing on the side, but I started taking more seriously and actually went out and got my clients and started building websites for people because it was either that or, I mean, realistically, I wasn't going to find another startup job. So I was going to be working some sort of student, you know, typical job. And I really didn't want to do that. So I ran full force with my business and I did manage to get clients and it was just all hustle at the beginning. Every single person that I met for more than like two minutes would find out that I built websites. I would just make sure that happened. And through that kind of initial expenditure of energy, Uh, I managed to get some clients and I managed to get paid what felt like a lot of money when I was a student 
looking back, I was undercharging dramatically, but that's okay. Um, I've learned since. And I did manage to get it to the point where uh, two years from that point, that actually became my full income. I was able to pay off my line of credit. I didn't have to. Uh, I, there's something called a co-op program where you can basically intern at a company. Mm-hmm. I did that mm-hmm. one year for a summer. I really hated being in a cubicle. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I was in my early 20s and I was coming home from that job every day like a grumpy 40-year-old man, like just <laughs> withered man. Um, it had such a toll on me. So I didn't want to do that again. So I just decided at that point, hey, this can actually sustain me. <laughs> wow, cool. So now there's a lot of stuff I want to talk about right there and unpack with you. But you were you going to school to be a programmer, to be someone who could program, you know, to learn how to program websites? Or did you pick up that skill somewhere else? No, I picked up that skill somewhere else. Uh, I learned it in high school purely by accident. Microsoft Office 2000 came out with a feature that allowed you to save a Word document as a website. So I built a website for a computer game, and this this was just my hobby. And I started writing about that game, and next thing you know, this company in Sweden had hired me to run their Worms site. So Worms is a computer game. And (laughs) they were paying me, like I think, $200 a month, which you know when you're in high school, you're a high roller. Oh, yeah, no kidding. That is huge money. So I was doing that for basically doing the same thing I was doing before, and that caused me to learn you know HTML and things like that. And I had been a programmer before that, too. Like, I started in elementary school like in grade seven just like learning how to program games for DOS but high school was when I learned web programming and web programming is the thing these days right so that's really what turned from a hobby into oh hey I can actually make money so for school for university I went for business and computer science because at that point I already had that transformation and thought okay I kind of want to run a business I don't just want to work for Microsoft yeah now, so you said something interesting there. You were writing about the site. What? So you were blogging about it or you were creating, you, you, posting on somebody else's site? So I had my own site at the beginning okay. uh, about worms um, that I built in Microsoft Office. Oh, uh, okay. So you wrote, the, your first site was about, about this game. Yeah, about okay, a game okay. called Worms. Why? Because I really liked the game Worms. And there was some other stuff I wrote on that site. But very quickly, Worms was the content that people liked. Okay. And I actually very early learned how to build a following and integrate into a community and everything. That was really cool. And so then this company approaches me that had their own like professionally designed gaming website about the same game. Huh. Wow. And they wanted me to run it. So I took it. <laughs> It's it's amazing how things like that work, right? So you started you you built something, then you started putting out content about it, and other people took notice. In this case, it just happened that the creator of the game took notice, and you were uh you you became a quote unquote wealthy teenager. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I, I could afford to buy my lunch every day, and I could buy myself a computer. I mean, what more could you possibly need? So now let's fast forward back to back to college. So you start you you start the, this web agency again, and I assume that the web agency we're referring to now is Tilted Pixel. Yes, exactly. That's the thing. Uh, it's actually been ten years now that I've been running it. Wow. Um, that just recently changed, and yeah, I mean that all started back in university, or I guess college for Americans. 
when you were building this business, you said earlier that, you know, if we talked longer than two minutes, you would know. Did you have any apprehensions or fears about telling people that you had this business or were you just in a situation where, you know, I, I got to pay for stuff, so I need a job and I'm going to tell as many people as I can? It's a bit of both. I'm naturally an introverted person and early college was not exactly a point where I had really honed my social skills. So the thought of meeting new people and talking to them was actually terrifying. Mm. But my, because university is a great place in the sense that there's a lot of events that you get connected to. Uh, mine had like an entrepreneurship center. So that was connected back into the community. So you could meet business people and things like that. So I took advantage of all that stuff and I just kind of forced my way through it. So I had a lot of awkward conversations mm. and a lot of inability to make small talk, which I did eventually learn. But <laughs> along the way, I mean, I did meet people that ultimately did want a website. In fact, at one point, I had walked into a store and I started chatting up with the owner. And when I left, I had bought like $40 worth of his goods and he had written me a check for 700 something dollars to build a website for him. Wow. Wow. That's awesome. That's awesome. And, and, it, and it just goes to show too that even if you're apprehensive to put yourself out there, you need to because you never know what could happen. Yeah, exactly. And and the reality is, is it's it's going to be tough if you're not a naturally social person. But the cool thing is, I mean, we're human beings. We learn through practice and experience. Yeah. And if you do that enough times, you might end up 10 years later with a business called Tilted Pixel. <laughs> so what can you tell us? What is T Tilted Pixel? What do you do on a day-to-day -day basis? So Tilted Pixel is a web agency, which is a wording I learned very late in the game uh, that pays a lot more than calling yourself a freelancer. But ultimately, I mean, it is it is a very small company. It's myself and a few people I have on contract. And we build amazing websites that convert visitors into customers. So we specifically focus either on e-commerce or people that are building a website that needs to generate leads. And I used to, and, and that's still very broad positioning, but that's a lot tighter than when I started. When when I started, if you had a pulse and you needed a website, <laughs> then you know I was your person. <laughs> okay. Now you said uh, a small company, and it sounds like it's a virtual company, but that wasn't always the case with this with this company, right? You actually had a brick and mortar business, for lack of a better term, right? Yeah, exactly. And that's maybe one of the downsides of having started so early because I had a poor grasp of the layout of the business world and what it meant to be a business. So a lot of that came from the media or it came from the startup culture because the city I was living in was very startup driven. It was basically Canada's little miniature Silicon Valley. So the only business that I understood was the type of business that gets office space, gets lots of employees, and does nothing but grow, grow, grow. Right? Growth is the mantra, not even profits. So I wanted to build a really big web agency because I thought that's what you were supposed to do. I was I identified as an entrepreneur and therefore I needed to build this big agency and it needed to have employees and needed to have office space. And that's what I built while still in university to the point where I went from one office space to a bigger office space. And spent a lot of money along the way, but that was honestly killing me. 
because I discovered a few things. One, I did all that stuff before I had really worked out the agency business model. So I was making common mistakes like undercharging massively and as I kind of alluded to, being willing to take on any type of project instead of figuring out who my ideal clients are. And then I had a lot of fixed overheads. I had very variable expenses because I didn't know how to turn a client into long-term revenue. So we'd build a website for five grand and the client would move on and that would be it, uh, which is problematic. And I had very, very fixed expenses. So it was the traditional feast or famine. You One month you could have a lot of money coming in and then the next three months you could have very little money coming in. And that's problematic when you have a lot of fixed expenses. So I ended up working very hard to keep all of that running Sometimes it was literally 18-hour days. Um, I wasn't really sleeping anymore. I was waking up at 5 a.m. before anybody else going into work, uh, pounding through coffee, and then I would be the one leaving after the cleaning staff have already left. And very quickly, I just lost perspective on life. It's like, why am I even doing any of this, right? Like, You can only do that for so long before it starts feeling pointless. And it actually started to have an impact on your your physical health and well-being too as well, right? Oh, 100%. Uh, when you're constantly under stress for years, your your body just starts destroying itself. And you know, you, there's physical and mental effects of that. Like, you know, try getting like four or five hours of sleep a night. Um, so I would wake up in the middle of the night with panic attacks and I'd never be able to get a good sleep anymore. And I was just constantly worried about my business. My business was my life. Yeah, your, your story is, at least to this point, the unglamorous side of entrepreneurship is very similar to uh, Lisa Mitchell's. Basically, the two of you are dispelling this whole myth of overnight successes because it just doesn't happen. But something did happen for you. You you decided that you needed to change your business model. It just wasn't working. The, um, it was beginning to impact your health to the point where you, you decided, I got to change something. So how did you go about beginning to fix or transform your business? So it all kind of came to a head. Um, I, I had kind of a nagging feeling for about a year that this wasn't working. But finally, sometime around Christmas break, I was off skiing and finally taking some time off. And I just kind of realized I have to do something because I can't go back to work in January and have the same thing happening again. It's just not going to work. So I realized that I need to make a change and either the business is going to survive or maybe it won't. But maintaining the status quo is absolutely not an option. So I took so I finally did what I should have done a long time ago, which is to take a really good hard look at my business and a, an honest one because you can review your business with a very rosy lens like, you know, you're an entrepreneur and, you know, profits will come later and all that jazz. That's nonsense. Um, I looked at my business with an honest lens and I really looked at what was actually working and what wasn't. And I discovered a few things. One, about 20% of our clients made up about 80% of our profits. The rest of them were very marginal jobs where we'd make a little bit of money and it would let us keep scraping by, but it wasn't really adding anything that would allow the company to grow. It was just keeping us alive. Whereas 20% of the jobs looked very different. They were clients that 
we could keep working with for a very long period of time instead of just a build it and forget it model. And those were the clients that were actually generating real profits, take home pay at the end of the day for me. So I realized I had to focus on those. And I also realized I was in no position to have all of that overhead. Um, it was very difficult to break out of that cycle while that overhead was there because it meant that instead of choosing the clients that I really wanted to work with, I basically had to go for any job I could find because the rent needed to be paid and all of the employees needed to be paid. Right? It's the same thing like car companies run into, right? Why do you think GM and Ford announce layoffs all the time? It's because everything about their business model is fixed. They either have too many factories or they have too few factories. And that's the position I was in. So I got rid of the office space. I transitioned things to the point where almost everything is now contract-based. So I just work with other freelancers that I trust and that I've worked with for years. They're freelancers as well, so it's cool because when I have work for them, it's great. But when I don't have work for them, that's perfectly okay too. And I just focused on really identifying the types of clients that we can do great work for and worked for them and at the same time was able to triple my rates as a result of that. So instead of selling $5,000 websites, they were now $15,000 websites. Right. And I believe you refer to these clients as high value clients, correct? That is correct. Exactly. How do you find your high value clients? So the first thing to do is identify what the heck a high value client is for you. And the very simple definition for me and, and the crucial core to this, it has to be a client that stands to gain a lot from working with you. And that's a very important distinction. So let's say you're like me and you build websites that are focused on turning visitors into customers and that's really your area of expertise. In that case, if you go and talk to an e-commerce store owner that sells a million dollars a year through their website, and if you can work with them and build them a website or improve their website that's going to boost their sales by even 10%, that's $100,000 that they stand to gain from, from working with you. Not to mention if you can increase sales by 20 or 30%. Whereas if you go and you talk to a local restaurant owner, very little of their business comes directly from their website. They are not going to see a revenue boost of several hundred thousand dollars with a new website, um, unless it's like a big chain or something. So they have a lot less to gain from you. So you could be doing the exact same work for customer A, the e-commerce store owner, and customer B, the restaurant owner. Customer A is going to be willing to pay you way more for your service than customer B. And that's a huge distinction that I didn't make at the beginning. And what I found from running freelance transformation, a lot of freelancers overlook entirely. They think if someone needs a website or needs some marketing help or writing, then they're a potential prospect. But you really only want to be focusing on the clients that have a lot to gain from working with you because then they will happily pay you way, way, way more than other types of clients. And that is the biggest philosophy behind High Valley Client. It sounds like, too, you probably have to change the way you market yourself and your services in order to attract those types of clients as well. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, that's absolutely correct. So the more you more specific you can get with what type of client you 
target, the more specific you can get with all of your marketing materials, such as your website. So instead of saying we build websites, we now say, you know, we build websites that convert visitors to customers. And that that is still broad. And that's, you know, an artifact of the history of Tilted Pixel. But we could go much deeper with it. We could say we build websites for homeowners that, you know, help you attract home buyers online. That would be beautiful positioning. Right. The more specific you can get, the easier it is to attract the right type of customer because you immediately stand out. Um, no one else is saying they help home builders attract home buyers online. So you're automatically going to get the job. I mean, that's a good point that you made because I think a lot of people look at it the opposite way. They want to try to be broad in their marketing messaging so they can, you know, they're kind of like trying to cast the net, cast the widest net they can to try to capture people. But you're actually suggesting you're going to be better off and you're going to be able to find higher value clients faster if you really kind of narrow your focus on what it is that you do and who you do it for. You're going to be way better off because remember, you're not Coca-Cola. <laughs> you're not trying to capture 50% of the world's cola market. You don't need to be broad. As a freelancer, even if you have an agency for that matter, even a big agency, you really only need a handful of clients a year. And if you're a big agency, maybe you need you know 50 clients a year if you're really big. Um, you're not you're not talking about taking over the world here. So by trying to be as broad as possible, all that you're really accomplishing is you are becoming the same commodity that everybody else is. You know, if someone's looking for a website designer, there's one on every block. And if that's all that you pitch yourself as as is a website designer that can work for anybody, uh, then you have done nothing to stand out. Whereas if you just specialize, if you go narrow, then very quickly you can create your own little island where there's no competitors or very few competitors and just stake that into the ground and suddenly you're attracting your ideal client who can actually pay you and you're the natural choice for that ideal client. Let's assume that there are people listening today that really would like to go out and start their own consulting business. But they're afraid of the unknown. They're afraid that they're going to get nothing but bad clients. They're afraid that they're not going to be able to provide for their family if they decide to jump in and, you know, make the leap instead of leaning in like Danny Flood and I talked about. What advice would you give to those people to get them started to say, you know, it's okay. You can do it, but here's, here's where, here's one of the things you need to start with to at least be able to alleviate some of the mind games that our heads tend to play with us. Yeah, definitely. So there's really two parts to that. One is the mind game. I mean, it's like you mentioned, there's a lot of fear that comes with heading out on your own. And then the second part is, well, what the heck do you do to actually be successful? Because telling yourself, I can do it, is frankly not good enough. So to deal with the fear, you really have some options when you're starting out. You don't have to attack this as a full-time gig right away. There's a lot of people that picture dramatically storming out of the office, giving their boss the resignation letter, and becoming a freelancer overnight. I mean, that's an option, and that can actually work if you've taken the time to build up uh, some connections at the beginning. 
But I'd say that's probably not a wise idea. <laughs> a much smarter plan is to start attracting clients and just moonlighting and just accept that you know, you're going to be working some weekends and evenings for a while, but it's going to let you dip your toes in the water and build up a client base before you take that leap. And you also have to realize with fear, and this is something that I learned from Tim Ferriss, is that very few decisions are truly irreversible. So if you do want to go and give your boss a resignation letter and storm out, that's fine. Take a look at what the worst possible scenario that can come out of that is. And really write it down and just go, what if, what if, what if? So, okay, so I quit my job and I'm going to start my freelancing business. What if it doesn't work out? Well, I'm going to start running out of money. Well, what happens if that happens? Well, I'm going to have to use my line of credit. Well, what happens if that happens? Well, it depends how far you want to go with it. I might have to borrow money from friends or something. But at some point, you're going to come to the conclusion, well, okay, worst that happens is I'm going to go out of business. And then I'm going to have to get a job again. Well, that's fine. You've already had a job. You know how to get a job. So you're just going to go back to employment. I can't really think of too many of any examples of people that have quit their jobs, gone freelancing, and then never been employable again. That just doesn't really seem to be something that happens. Yeah, I would think too, uh, and th- that's a very similar path to what Lisa Mitchell did. She she started her business. Her business didn't work out. She went back into full-time employing, employment. Um, I wonder though, is if there's an ego thing with folks that strike out on their own and then they, you know, they have to go back into the workforce if that like, if that like messes with their minds and it prevents them from moving forward too. It could be. Um, I'm not someone that's done that. I've met people that have done that and, you know, I can't get inside their heads, but they seem to be doing just fine. You know, it's tough because I think at some point it comes down to your own outlook out on life and your own personal character. Uh, you can, you, you have a choice to make if this doesn't work out. You can choose to use it as a learning opportunity and use it as a positive thing for your employer because you've probably gained a ton of experience and knowledge that you would not have done shuffling more papers at your job. Or you can just decide, well, you know, I'm going to be a sore loser about it. And whichever path you take, those are going to be the results that you get. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you pointed that out too, because I was, I was thinking it right as you started saying it, which is I, uh, some employers would probably look at it as exactly like you said, that you went out and you took some initiative and you gained a whole bunch of skills that you wouldn't have gotten elsewhere. Yeah, absolutely. Like if I, if I did decide to go back into the corporate workforce, I mean, now I know how to sell to clients. Now I know how to figure out what it is that they're actually struggling with in their business. I know a ton about business communication. I know a ton about networking. I have learned how, you know, probably a hundred plus businesses work on the inside. So there's just a ton of knowledge that I've picked up and experience. So I think it would be very valuable if I went back. I just don't want to. <laughs> You mentioned you mentioned it earlier, and I want to ask you about it now. You you said that when, if you do branch out and you do start to you know begin to start something on the side, you should not call yourself a freelancer. Why is that? Because when you label yourself a freelancer, people have a ton of association with that word, and most of that association comes down to you know this is a person that works at home in their pajamas. 
and you basically should pay them like you would an employee, except on an hourly basis. So a, fr- a freelancer is just a gun for hire. You can have them for like thirty or forty bucks an hour. There's a lot of value that isn't communicated when you call yourself a freelancer. It's it's a very commoditizing term. Whereas if you pick a different term, like uh, what about consultant? If you think of a consultant, you probably immediately get a completely different impression in your mind. A consultant is someone that helps you solve business problems. They're a high-value individual um, and they deliver high value to your business. So I would expect to pay a consultant a lot more and I would expect very different results from a consultant than a freelance graphic designer. So if you're looking to level up your work, you know, you can position yourself much better than just a freelancer. And that's something I talk about a lot on freelance transformation is how to do that, how to actually help clients with their business. Because you don't you don't want to be just the one that's doing the commodity work. If you're a graphic designer and you're expecting the client to tell you exactly what to design and then you just design it, you're basically a robot. The only reason you exist is because we're not at the point in technology where the client can just type in a command in the computer and the computer designs something. We're not there yet, but we'll get there. But that's all you're worth. And I'm sorry because that's kind of harsh, but it's true. Whereas if you can be someone that educates the client on what they need designed and how that design can fit into a business goal they're trying to achieve, uh, such as getting more sales and figuring out how all of that's going to connect together, you're worth 10 times as much. Yeah, that echoes exactly what Taylor Pearson said um, on the show not too long ago when he likened um, even a even a job like a CPA and accountant to that of the life of a turkey, <laughs> which is which is basically you know a turkey gets up every morning, it gets fed, uh, you know it has a nice life, it, and, and that happens every day. And so there's nothing in the turkey's history that would ever suggest that anything would ever change until. Thanksgiving morning when the farmer comes out with the axe. You never know the position that you hold, whether it can be replaced by someone or something else down the road if if you're not adding that extra value that you're talking about. Yeah, that is a beautiful example. And that kind of hits to the heart of it, I think, because a lot of people, when they transition from being an employee to a freelancer, they still think of themselves as an employee. They're still waiting for that order to be given to them instead of being the proactive one that tells the client what needs to be done. Yeah. And I think that's, that, that's a big mindset issue. I think a lot, you know, cause a lot of people go to school and they, we, the whole school system, the whole education system is designed to teach us to be employees. Oh, hundred percent. It's not designed to teach. There's no school you can go, go to, to say, this is how you start tilted pixel without starting it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so now you mentioned freelance transformation, your podcast. So can you give us a little bit of information? You, you kind of touched on it. Give us a little bit more information about the podcast and when does it come out? Freelance transformation is my project to help freelancers live the kind of life that they want to live, be successful at freelancing, and really use freelancing to build a lifestyle that they envision because if you're if you're becoming a freelancer there's probably a reason for it and it's probably because you do want to work with clients that you love working with and you do want to lead a certain lifestyle that you envisioned 
Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be a digital nomad. It could just mean you get to spend more time with the wife and kids, but there's something you're trying to achieve. So freelance transformation is all about helping you transform your freelancing so you can do that. Uh, there's a podcast up there uh, that comes out every single Monday morning. I've interviewed over 50 uh, consulting experts, people that are successful freelancers, and so on. And again, there's a new episode every Monday. And what I can do for your listeners as well, because it sounds like there's listeners uh, to your podcast that are considering freelancing as a route and making that jump, is I'll put together a special bonus links page specifically for your listeners. And let's make that freelancetransformation.com forward slash brand new you. Awesome. Thank you very much. Very happy to do it. So your podcast also has a pretty famous person in the podcaster space associated with it because you are a featured case study with John Lee Dumas's Podcaster Paradise, correct? Uh, yeah, exactly. If you if you ever take uh, John Lee Dumas's uh, free podcast course, my launch of Freelance Transformation is up there as one of the case study videos. It's kind of cool. Yeah, it is cool. So tell tell me about that. How'd that whole thing come about? I mean, did you reach out to John? Did John reach out to you? How did, you know, because... Launching a podcast is not super easy, but you did it well enough to capture capture his attention. Yeah, and part of it is like everything else in social media is timing. I'm part of his Podcasters Paradise course because, okay. of course, I did want to launch my podcast right, and I felt like that course was my answer to that. And so there is a private Facebook group where everybody shares uh, their podcasting challenges and tips and just how we're all doing. And at some point, um, I posted about my launch, and that turned into John wanting to feature it on the Podcasters Paradise course system, and I guess in his free course as well. That's pretty cool. And for those who may not know, John Lee Dumas runs the very, very popular Entrepreneur on Fire podcast, uh, which is a good one if nobody's checked that out. Please do so. He has put out over a thousand shows now, which is still mind boggling for me. I don't, I don't know what you think about that, Matt, but I'm, I think I'm 60 plus in now and I'm thinking, holy cow, he's got a thousand. Yeah. John, what John has done with Entrepreneur on Fire is nothing short of incredibly impressive. And I think if you ever want an example of someone that just executes so well and focuses on what's really important for growing his business, then John is just such an exam- amazing example of that. Matt, you are a pretty amazing example of helping freelancers make this transformation, whether it's taking their brick and mortar businesses, if you will, and helping them refine it and, you know, really becoming more of a, of a business that lives to the life that they want or helping them get started at the beginning. People need to check out your podcast. You give, you have some great guests and you have a lot of great advice, not only on your podcast, but also on the site, uh, Freelance Transformation. For those people who are listening who would like to get in touch with you, would like to learn a little bit more about you, your business, or check out the podcast, what is the best ways for them to do that? Sure. So go to freelancetransformation.com. There you'll find the podcast. Again, if you go to freelancetransformation.com, forward slash brand new you, I'll make sure that there's a bonus just for listeners of this podcast. And then if you want to connect with me, that's awesome. I like Twitter a lot. 
Twitter has done some good things for me. And my Twitter handle is just my name, Matt Inglot, M-A-T-T-I-N-G-L-O-T. Awesome. Matt, any final thoughts you'd like to pass along to anybody that's listening today? I'd say if you want to be a freelancer, that's great. You don't have to do it by just quitting your job suddenly. You can start by just finding your clients and then transitioning out of work as as is necessary. And just don't make a lot of the same mistakes that I did. You know, the reason it took me a long time to get to where I am is because I didn't have anyone else to help me. I wasn't really listening to any resources on freelancing. At that point, there wasn't even that many resources. I was just trying to wing it by myself. And the best thing you can do is learn from others, whether that's online resources or, hey, uh, talk to some successful freelancers that are in the position that you want to be in and take the time to learn from them. I could have saved myself years of trouble if I had bothered to take a few more of the right people out for coffee and listen to their <laughs> advice. Well, Matt, I do appreciate you taking time out of your day to talk to me today. And if I am ever up in your neck of the woods, I would definitely like to take you out for a cup of coffee. I would like that very much. Thanks so much, Ryan. So what about you? Are you considering freelancing? I mean, consulting as a career option? If so, you really need to follow Matt. Both this podcast and the accompanying blog are full of actionable tips and information that you can use to help you make that transition. For those of you who are already consulting or running your own business, when was the last time you took an honest look at your business? Do you know who your high-value clients are? Matt has put together a great bonus package for you today, including a guide to help you find your high-value clients. Check it out at freelancetransformation.com forward slash brand new you. Thank you, Matt, for sharing your story, experiences, and wisdom with us today. And for you, the listener, as always, thank you for tuning in. You are my high-value clients. If you're new to the show, or even if you're a long-time listener, remember this is a podcast, which means you can subscribe to the show and have each week's episode delivered right to your favorite phone or podcast catcher. That wraps us up for today. The show notes can all be found on the website at ryanroten.com forward slash Matt Inglot. And don't forget to visit freelancetransformation.com forward slash brand new you. Until next week, I've been Ryan and I'm out. Today's show was edited and produced by Ryan Roten. 